have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. It's amazing how far water will travel once it enters someplace on the roof. It, it, it's always surprised me. It's rare that you find a leak exactly where a hole may be or where there's a bad shingle, for example. So my, my guess is if you continue to fight this and you know your basement is dry, uh, that you've got a, a, a problem elsewhere. It's either from a plumbing line or it's coming from that roof. And since you know you have some roof problems, I'd venture to say when you re-roof that house, you're going to find the source and you're going to eliminate this. Do you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he is here to help you deal with the issues that are important to today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email him questions to KenTheContractor.com. We talk frequently about buying and selling homes. That is a finished product, something ready to occupy. But rarely do we address simply the land side. And for many of us, from time to time, we will buy a lot or we'll buy acreage and we'll go to a builder and we'll have a custom home constructed for us. And I want to spend a few minutes talking about some of the pitfalls of just buying land or simply buying a platted residential lot in a subdivision. There are as many questions that you need to be asking. And there are as many answers that realtors and sellers really should be providing to the consumer when it comes time for property to trade hands. And I'm talking, again, raw, undeveloped land. So let's take a few moments and talk about some of these things I want you to be particularly aware of that can come back to bite you if you don't ask the right question and can come back to cost you a huge amount of money, perhaps even causing you to not be able to build what you intended to build on that particular lot. And, yes, I am talking about lots that may be in platted subdivisions, as I said, not just large acreage lots, whether it's one, two, three, five acres, or whatever the case may be. And, by the way, you don't have to take all the notes on the things I'm fixing to cover. You'll be able to go to the website, KenTheContractor.com, and find this posted under Ken's Important Points. So we'll make that happen here shortly. But the first thing I want you to be aware of is that buying a raw, undeveloped piece of land or building lot can be unique to, in fact, it is unique to the different parts of the country. We have listeners all around the country. So what I'm giving you in many cases applies to all, but there are always going to be some unique scenarios. So you may need to ask some follow-up questions. And each of these items need to be dealt with in that land purchase. I'm going to recommend to you that if you think it applies or it's something you're concerned about, you add this to your purchase contract as a list of contingencies. And it's not uncommon to see a list of contingencies in a buy-sell agreement where those have to be removed before you actually go to closing. In some cases, the seller will be providing answers and substantiating that. In other cases, you're going to have to ask the question and go to different authorities. And what I'm giving you is not in any particular order, but they're things to consider. First, I want you to talk to the seller a little bit about uh, water rights, oil rights, mineral rights, especially if you're buying large tracts of land. Certain parts of the country, water rights are more important than oil or mineral rights may be. It's actually more valuable in certain parts of the country. Water crossing the land, the ability to produce uh, well water and to pull out certain volumes. There are limitations on that in many parts of this country. You can't do everything you think you want to do on some property. So you always need to be sure that this is addressed in a purchase contract. Do you have full rights to water, to oil, to minerals, all that may be underneath the surface of that ground? Secondly, I want you to take a good look at the piece you're buying. 
wants you to do a little bit of investigative work. And in many cases, not only do you need to do this, but your lender is going to require what's called a Phase 1 environmental assessment. And this Phase 1 assessment generally is a historical search of the property and its uses going back 70, 75, 80 years or so to see what may have been on that property 50, 60, 70 years ago. Are you likely to be buying a piece of property that once housed an old gas station, for example, that could have soil 10, 15 feet below the surface that's full of contamination from gas and diesel, uh, kerosene and so forth? You do not want to be purchasing a piece of property that's in that situation. And you say, well, I'm buying a lot in the subdivision. Well, what if that area in the subdivision at some point back in the 1940s housed this gas station and had buried tanks? So these are questions you need to ask. And in many cases, answers will come quickly from developers if you're buying in a subdivision because their lender has required them to do these phase one environmental assessments. I don't want you to be scared by these things. I want you to raise the question and be informed. And if you find there's a piece of property or larger tract that you're buying, that the phase one assessment says, hey, there could be some issues here, an old landfill, whatever, then you'll need to take that to the next level for a full phase two environmental assessment. Also, I want you to think a little bit about soil test. And the reason I bring this up, you're saying, I'm just building a house. I'm not putting up a 15-story building. Well, folks, and I see this in the area that I live in, even in subdivisions where there may be a temporary stormwater pond installed as the developer builds the entire subdivision, puts the roads, the sewer, the water in, and so forth, and that's required, and they come back and they fill this pond in, and that becomes a building lot at a later date. If that material is not structural fill, if it has not been placed and compacted and tested properly, you know what? You buy a lot, and you may be stuck with all of the reengineering cost pulling that out, putting it back in, and having it certified in order to get inspections on your foundations by the local governing authorities. So soil tests can be very important, may only cost you a few hundred dollars if you have to do it, but it can be an important item that can save you a huge amount of money. One other area that's just a huge problem across this country, people buying property without having a valid survey. And I don't mean a survey that was done 30 years before you purchased it that's been photocopied or transferred, but I'm talking about a valid current survey. Know where your property corners are. If you don't know what you're buying, the odds are uh, at least decent that you're going to end up in a dispute with somebody, a neighbor or someone at some point. A lot of properties, and in my building career I've encountered this, were identified so many years ago that it's an X and a stone at the northeast corner of the property. It's a nail that's in a tree stump at the southwest corner of the property that rotted 20 years ago and you can't find it. It's not all modern-day iron pins that you find in the ground. Have your property surveyed. You'll find fences that are encroaching from other properties that may be on what you're buying. You may find structures. I've seen that as recently as last week looking at a property with a client where structures, utility buildings that are on slab, actually go over the lot line. These are things that need to be resolved before you close, and a simple survey by a registered surveyor will resolve that issue for you. At least you'll know what you're getting into. Also, you want to be sure that your land is not in a flood zone. If it is, you want to know what the flood elevations are, where you have to build in order to be above that floodplain, and you want to investigate the cost of flood insurance in that area. You want to be concerned about easements, both public and private, and both of those exist. A public easement may be for a roadway, for a public utility, sewer, water, gas lines. It may be overhead or it may be underground, so don't assume just because you don't see power lines running across the property that there may not be buried telephone, cable, 
or even power lines running across the piece that you're getting ready to buy. Public easements are not always recorded. I've worked in enough areas around this country to know that if easements get signed off with a power company, it goes in their file. So it, sometimes it takes a little digging. They don't always go to the clerk's office, the registrar's office, and have these things recorded to be public record. That's where title companies and others come in to help certify that what, guarantee that what you're buying is usable and you don't have issues. And we can go on and on with so many other items that are here, but there are other, some, some unique things that I also want to caution you about, and that has to do with special tax assessment districts. So you want to be sure that you've checked with your local governing authorities, your tax office, your building department. You want to be sure that everything's in order that will allow you to build. I've got about 20 items, and I want to tell you, you go to my website, kenthecontractor.com. You're going to find them all posted right there under Ken's Important Points. Coming up next, as we continue with this edition of Ken the Contractor, Ken will be answering your questions. You can reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or online at kenthecontractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken the Contractor reminds you, a house is what you build, a home is what you make it. We're here to help you make that home just a little more family-friendly each week. Whatever the issue, you can give you a little bit of a hand. And don't forget, if you're looking for information online, be sure to check out Ken's Toolbox. That's among the more popular topics and the dis- topics that we discuss on the program here. Everything from heating to green building, accessible living, buying and selling homes and property, decks, drywall, plumbing, windows, insulation, electricity, roofs. You can find all that information online at Ken's website. That's Ken the Contractor. Or if you have a question, you can always join us. The number to dial is 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And that's the number that Steve dialed. He joins us right now out in Elkhart, Indiana. Steve, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. I bought a uh, HUD home, and it's a crawl space. And underneath, uh, some places are dirt and some places are cement. Do I or should I put plastic uh, down over the top of all the, uh, the whole space? And then the other question with this is ventilation system, heat ducts, all the ducts, cold air also. Should I have a clean duct person come out and clean that out? It does look pretty dirty. I wonder uh, how much that would affect our health. First, let me deal with the crawl space exposed area, the dirt floor. In all of my experience and just best practices, you really should have some type of vapor barrier over the earthen area that's exposed in that basement or crawl space, especially if it's a basement area and you're spending some time in it. All of the groundwater humidity is working its way into that room, and ultimately it's working its way into the upper space above that. It will create mold and mildew. It may be creating issues for you or others in the house as far as allergies go. The bottom line is put plastic down. What you're going to find immediately, once you put the plastic down within 24 hours, you're going to see some moisture or condensation form on the bottom of that. And that tells you right there that there is groundwater that you can't see that's working its way up into the house and then being soaked into the wood structure. So by all means, I'd put plastic down. Very inexpensive. You usually can buy up to a 2,000 square foot roll of 6 mil plastic for probably $120 or less. And you may not need an area that size, which means the dollars will be less. But I definitely would be putting plastic on the floor, and you can secure that in place 
with some small pins that you buy, and if you have to seam that together, because normally it's only about 20 feet wide at its widest once you unfold it, be sure you overlap those joints at least 6 to 12 inches, and then pin that or tape it in place, and also be sure you tuck it firmly against your foundation walls to help prevent moisture from coming up. There'll be a noticeable difference to you in that area over time. Now, the second part of your question tells me that you have visibly some dirt dust, perhaps pollen, within your ductwork, your fresh air ductwork for your uh, heating and cooling system. And anytime we see this level of dirt in our system, I would always recommend you bring a company out that's professional and skilled at cleaning ductwork because what you see there is constantly being circulated within your house. It's sticking to the walls, the ceiling, the floor covering, the upholstery. It's everywhere in the house. And it can have an adverse effect on your health. Now, you also have a filter inside most central heating and cooling units. You certainly should have. I would be changing that filter on a regular basis, especially after the ductwork is cleaned, because right now all it sounds like you're doing is recirculating the dirt that's there. I really appreciate your call. I hope this offers a little bit of guidance. And get back with us and let us know if there's anything else we can do for you. Steve, we, you. Steve, we do appreciate your call. Don't forget, uh, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Let's go to some email questions. We're heading to the great state of Wisconsin right now, La Crosse, Wisconsin. What's the issue that Alan's dealing with? Alan has a water pipe problem, and I'm not happy to hear this. And, Alan, you're probably not going to be happy with what I have to tell you either because you may have a more serious problem than just a leaking line. He says, we purchased our home about two years ago. Said the home's not that old, built around 1990. Said, I've started having some leaks in the plastic water lines that are exposed below the floor. Is this normal for a house of this age? Any suggestions on how to avoid this and what do I need to do? Well, I don't want you to be alarmed, Alan, but there are many people across this country that have experienced a problem that's not just a leaking water line, but actually deteriorating water lines. And this deals with what's known as the uh, polybutylene uh, product, which was used to make pipe for about 17 years, from 78, I guess, into maybe a little longer, 78 to 95, 96, 97, somewhere in there. But this polybutylene pipe has been known to be defective, and it breaks down over time. There was a substantial class action lawsuit, actually a billion-dollar-plus class action lawsuit that was uh, put together by many homeowners across this country against the people who produced the pipe. And the pipe is no longer produced. It wasn't produced after, I guess, 1995 or six or so. But unfortunately, there are about 10 million homes across the nation that this pipe was installed in. And under the class action lawsuit, a lot of people were able to have these issues repaired, have the piping replaced, But the really bad news is that the opportunity to file a claim expired a few years ago. So if you purchased a home built in 1990 that had this particular pipe product in it, you may be completely on your own. And that's why I say I'm really sorry to hear this. What I want to recommend you do first, one, is to repair the leaks that you know you have. Do not let those continue on. But secondly, I want you to bring a licensed plumber in to make an inspection If you're not up to speed on the different types of pipe and let them tell you whether or not you have this uh, polybutylene pipe that was defective installed throughout your house. Now, for at a glance, and I'm a little reluctant to say this, but I will, because there are other pipes produced in similar colors that have absolutely no problem with them. 
But the interior polybutylene pipe that are typically half inch up to one inch in diameter are normally a gray or white in color, and they have a fairly dull finish. And that doesn't mean that all pipe that meet this category is this defective or deteriorating type pipe product. So first thing I want you to do is have the leaks fixed. Do not let them go. But because you are seeing this, I want you to be on guard, on watch for other leaks in that house. In the meantime, I also want you to have this licensed plumber come out and tell you whether or not you have a long-term pipe issue. I wish I had better news for you, but that's the direction you need to go in. You're better informed and find out that you don't have this this bad pipe, that you've got okay pipe, you just happen to have a leak, you get it fixed, and you live happy thereafter. But I want you to know that for a fact. Is there a way, if you bring a plumber or another specialist in, for them to, without physically going in and either tearing out stuff to get to these pipes, to be able to tell you if you've got potential problems? Yeah, at any place they can see these pipes, in crawl spaces, for example, closets where the pipes may come out in to feed a hot water heater, even under the kitchen sink, where pipes are visible, they typically can tell. And the professionals will know whether this is one of the, uh, the, the pipe products that just didn't cut it in the marketplace that was part of this lawsuit that now is outside any uh, opportunity to recapture dollars for that, but now you've got to do it on your own. The main thing is you don't want to come back after a weekend and find your entire house flooded because you've got some pipes that have burst. The other thing you need to check with, is your insurance company to be sure that your house is covered if you have this defective pipe across the country. Some insurance companies have some fine print that exclude this polybutylene pipe. If it breaks, you're still on your own. And some insurance companies I know are now offering that as a rider that you can get added on to your uh, homeowner's policy. That's correct. So if it's excluded for an additional fee, you're covered. But these are things you need to be aware of so that you're protected. And I'm afraid that may be what he's dealing with here, the way Alan describes this. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Don't forget, friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. More coming right up. This is Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson, and this is Ken the Contractor, the program that answers the questions that are important to today's homeowner. If you'd like to forward a question to Ken, a couple different ways you can do that. You can email him at our website, kenthecontractor.com, or give us a call anytime at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Time now for this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and save money. Joining me now is Kyle Golden. Kyle is energy efficiency expert with the Linux company. One of the first things I have to talk about with you is clearly when it comes to our home, people are all about saving money today. They want to be as energy efficient as they can because they realize there's a front-end cost that they can deal with, but there is a month after month after month cost that they've got to cope with every month they live in that home or some home. So what are some of the most useful strategies, I guess, for homeowners to increase their energy efficiency? Yeah, that's a great question, and everybody wants to save a little bit of money. And you're right, utility bills can make up a significant portion of monthly expenses. In fact, more than half of homes' energy costs actually come from heating and cooling. The surprising part is there are a few changes that the homeowners can easily do to increase their energy efficiency. Homeowners often look the value of proper insulation and sealing cracks with caulking and weather stripping to prevent air leaks. Without it, your heating and cooling system has to work harder to maintain the desired temperature of the home. And with home automation becoming a more popular topic, homeowners should take advantage of the benefits of a programmable thermostat. Many homeowners probably don't use the smart features on the thermostat. 
These thermostats can help homeowners save up to $180 on their utility bills. Now, there's so many things that can be done out there. Now, when we talk about strategies for saving money, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you have seen that homeowners make that prevent them from saving the kind of dollars on these utility bills you're talking about? Well, one I have to admit that I'm guilty of is, is that homeowners need to change their filters regularly. I know I forget about this, too, and I'm an energy-efficient expert. But what you're supposed to do is change your filters every one to two months. And in months of high usage, like the summer, in the middle of the winter, you should change your filter on a regular basis. That means every month. The benefit is this will increase the airflow to the unit and reduce operating costs. Another idea is that homeowners should service their system at least one time a year. Just like your car that you need to get your oil changed every 3,000 miles, you're going to want to service your HVAC system once a year to ensure it's performing at its highest level. Okay, now one of the hot things that we've dealt with for the last several years in home construction, you see this at the International Builder Show, you see this at other local shows, regional shows throughout the country, and your company and so many others have really jumped into this big time. That deals with home automation, and some would use the term autopilot. I mean, we can control just about everything in our home if we choose to from our smartphone halfway around the world. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing, what Linux is seeing, and what they're doing that's part of this trend and part of the packages that are available for the consumer. Yeah, home automation is a big push in electronics to help you save time, energy, and money. Your home doesn't have to be straight out of a James Bond film, but there are some smart upgrades you can do that will also increase the cool factor. Some examples include controlling your home sprinkler system from a Wi-Fi-enabled device, or as mentioned, smart thermostats such as the Lennox iComfort Wi-Fi allows you to control the temperature of your home anytime, anywhere from a Wi-Fi-enabled device such as an iPhone, iPad, or Android device. The great benefit is you won't have your system running when you're not home. If you forget to do it when you walk out the door, no problem. Grab your phone and put your system into away mode. Okay, we're speaking with Kyle Golden. Kyle is energy efficiency expert with Linux, and you just mentioned the smart thermostats, and there seem to be so many of those in the market today that probably it creates some confusion for folks. What I want you to do is tell us what differentiates the, the Linux iComfort, which I have talked about on my show, Wi-Fi, from its competitors in the marketplace. When Linux designed the iComfort Wi-Fi, what we did is we stepped back and we looked at thermostats. And what we realized is that thermostats really haven't changed over the last 30 or 40 years. And what we walked away is the majority of thermostats are very difficult to use and they require manuals to set up and configure. I don't know about you, but I don't want to read a manual to set up a thermostat. So we took a different approach and we looked at devices that are so incredibly intuitive, like your iPad or or your smartphone. And these devices, people can just pick up and use right away. So we took that same paradigm as an iPad or smartphone, and we made our thermostat look and feel like that type of device. Ultimately, this just made it so incredibly easy to use. And that's what really differentiates it from the rest of the market. Another thing is that iComfort Wi-Fi can communicate with all the different devices in your HVAC system. So it's talking with your furnace and your air conditioner. That way, if there's any problems, you're going to get an alert sent to your email, and your dealer will also get an alert. That way, this can let you know if your system's not performing optimally. Hopefully, this can help you avoid any unnecessary 
system repairs down the road. It's just amazing the kind of information that's available at our fingertips and the fact that this is so user-friendly and easy to work with. But the question that people will come back to us with hearing this saying, this sounds great, but is this going to work for every system that's out there or do I have to have a Linux system, for example? When the Linux iComfort Wi-Fi was first introduced, it only worked with our Dave Linux signature collection of products, including our recently introduced ultimate comfort system. However, now it will work with all products available on the market. Okay, now you just mentioned something else that I want you to talk briefly about. That's the ultimate comfort system. Explain to us a little bit what that is. So Linux took a look at our overall portfolio, and what we did is we grouped our most energy-efficient products into one category, and we're calling them the ultimate comfort system. They all work together with the iComfort Wi-Fi. And an example of one of those products is our new iHarmony zoning solution. Now, zoning may be a foreign term to some of the listeners, but it's actually quite simple. What it does is it breaks your home into different areas or zones. And the benefit to the homeowner is it's going to allow you to customize the temperature of each individual area of your house. So if you like to sleep in the master bedroom and you want it a little bit cooler than the rest of the house, no problem. You can adjust the temperature of just that one area of your house. That's going to improve your comfort, but it can also improve your energy efficiency because you can stop heating and cooling unoccupied areas of your house. And lastly, it can help eliminate hot and cold spots. I know my office, in the afternoons, the sun is just beating on it, and the room is always five degrees warmer than the rest of the house. After I installed the Lennox iHarmony system, I eliminated that hot. And there's no better testimony to me than the folks that work with products that understand the systems using it in their own dwellings. That speaks volumes as far as I'm concerned. Now, if there's one last thing you can leave with our listeners about reducing operating costs, their energy costs, month after month, what would it be? There's simple things you can do, like I mentioned. Change your filter on a regular basis. Insulating your house should become automatic. Those will save you a few bucks. And most importantly, the biggest change you can make is installing a programmable thermostat. This is going to have a lasting effect on your energy bill. Where do folks go to find out more information, not only about what we've discussed, but all the Linux products and the technology that you have to offer? They can go to www.lenox.com or find Lennox on Facebook or follow at Lennox Air on Twitter. Kyle Golden has been with us today, energy efficiency expert with Linux. Kyle, you've shared a lot of valuable information about the Linux product, the brand, and the technology, and where your company is on the cutting edge, trying to allow all of us to live better, more comfortably, and spend less money to do it. We really appreciate you being with us today, Kyle. Thank you very much, Ken. Appreciate it. That's this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor, as each week Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and save money. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come back with more more of your questions for Ken the Contractor. That's next. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here dealing with the issues that are important to you. Today's homeowner, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email him at KenTheContractor.com. Time for us uh, to bring you our handy website of the week. And for those of you that are always looking for a product to solve a problem around the house, I think this is it. It's called Wink.com, W-H-I-N-K.com. That's Wink.com. I want to tell you, I use many of these products as a professional. I've used them for a number of years, but their website really reveals absolutely everything that they carry, whether you're trying to open up a clogged sink 
whether you need a special cooktop cleaner, whether you happen to be looking to uh, get rust out of clothes or rust out of an, off an appliance, out of your kitchen sink because you left something in it and it rusted, I'll tell you, they have products that absolutely work. I've had to go out of my way in some cases to find it. You won't find them in every store, not in all the big box stores or the grocery stores or hardware stores. They are around. In some cases, you may have to order. But Wink.com, W-H-I-N-K, will open your opportunities to clean, get rid of stains, get rid of rust, get rid of other items that are real household chores in a pretty rapid fashion. I highly recommend it. Wink.com. Very good. Back to the phone lines we go right now at 800-614-2975. We're heading to the Commonwealth of Virginia. That's where Charlie is. He's got some issues with his deck. Charlie, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Uh, yeah, I've got a uh, deck we uh, built back here last fall, and I'm wanting, I guess, to preserve it or to treat it. Uh, and thinking of whether it'd be better to go with a stain for a couple of years or, you know, just do something like Thompson's or something like that. Well, I'll tell you, the Thompson's is a good product. It's user-friendly for homeowners to apply. It can be brushed on. It can be sprayed on. It can be rolled on. And there are numerous other brand-name products that are equally as effective in preserving uh, our, our wood decks and rails and so forth. But... Most of those are water-based, and they have a tendency to last only one to two years, if that. Depends on how much sunlight they get, what they're exposed to, and how much use they have. And my personal experience has been to look at putting a stain, now not a surface stain, but a penetrating stain, one that actually gets into the wood, and to seal that initially to be sure all the edges are sealed. Everything is, is at that point, relatively Watertight. It's a little bit like putting a wax on your car to preserve the paint finish. Now, over time, then a product like a Thompson's clear water proofing or clear water seal is good to top that off. But you need to be sure that those products are compatible because not every stain is compatible with the surface applied clear waterproofing agent. So that's the only thing I would caution you or others about. But long term, I've seen that perform quite well. So a penetrating stain then. Yeah, and, and that's different. A, when you look at a stain that is, and when we refer to stain, I don't know that you or most of us really think too much about it, but there are stains that tend to be more like a paint that are somewhat solid in nature and they don't have a lot of penetration into the wood grain itself. Then there are others that do not have as many solids in it. It's going to allow, allow a lot of that wood grain to actually come through and show. You can just paint this stuff on or just sponge it on or something? It, it can brush on or it can be sprayed on, absolutely. But it, that tends to change the color. If nothing else, is going to enhance the color of that pressure-treated material some. If you're looking to preserve just the natural wood tone, a clear sealer, and I believe Cabot's and some others make a clear stain, a penetrating stain also, would allow that wood grain to come through. Now, even a clear sealer is going to enhance the color of the wood. So if you're saying it's dark now, I don't want to really see some of these streaks stand out anymore, that's going to occur when you put a clear sealer or a clear stain on it. Yeah, I believe somebody recommended something like a honey pine or something like that. And, of course, that's your option. You have so many different colors, whether it's a stain or whether it's a paint. And the other thing that I would caution you about, you said you put this deck in last year? Uh, yes. 
is to be sure that it has thoroughly cured, meaning that much of that moisture from the materials have come out of it. You also don't want to be sealing or staining right after several heavy rains because you want it to be as dry as possible. Now, pressure-treated material carries an awful lot of water in it when it's first installed. And so in some cases, it may take it a year or more for that to completely come out, especially if it's on the shady side of your house. Is there any way I could test that, I mean, with a moisture content in that wood? Well, a lot of the paint stores may rent some, if you're good friends with them, may loan you a moisture meter that you can use to actually check the moisture content. But a pretty good rule of thumb to see how wet materials are is if you're driving a nail in it and the moisture is hitting you in the face, you know, it's popping out around that nail. It is, yeah. It's way too wet. Right. Well, can you recommend a, uh, a brand of stain that may be in, like, one of these big boxes? Most of the brands, I'll tell you, in my experience, that the big box stores carry – will work for what you're trying to do, but you need to ask the questions and provide them with information that I'm looking for something that I don't mind redoing or or resealing, let's say, every one to two years, or I'm looking for a product that I can put down, and it's going to be good for five years. I want something that will penetrate the wood, not just sit on the surface like a paint does. And then you have to tell them you know, what you're looking to see in terms of the final color. The other thing that you have to throw in the mix, as I said, is if you intend to keep this sealed with a clear spray-on waterproofing agent, then you want to let them know that now I also need a stain that's compatible with this so that I can spray this on every one, two, three years, keep it looking pristine, and not have a problem with these things being compatible. You don't want to put a clear waterproofing on the top of it and see it just curl up. So you, you need to ask those questions. But also, again, in my experience, you may find a greater level of expertise or information on unique stains at some of the paint supply stores, not just the big box stores where they may be carrying multiple brands. I take nothing away from them, but I'm saying when you walk into a paint store, that is all they sell. That is what they are experts in, and you may find folks that can offer a little more direction or advice based on the questions you give them. And even as a professional, sometimes we have unique situations, and I'll go to the paint professionals and say, haven't run into this in 30 years, but I've got this situation, I have these elements coming into play, and I, this needs to perform for at least this period of time. Let's look at the products and the technical data sheets, and let's see what the best recommendation is. Great. Sounds great. Appreciate your time and your show. Thank you very much. We appreciate you listening, and thank you for the call. Charlie, we do appreciate the feedback. Don't forget, if you do have a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975 or email him at our website, kenthecontractor.com. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor, where folks come for professional answers. If you have a question about your home inside or out, the contact number for Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson, is 800-614-2975 or the website, kenthecontractor.com. For Ken Patterson, I'm Jim Brett. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.